Well, Nikki, come on up, and, and I just want to want to welcome Nikki. You know, Nikki leads our prophetic training, and uh, Craig, Nikki's husband, leads our men's ministry, and the Kamali family, and they have an amazing tennis star over here who won his tournament this week. That's so good. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, we're really thankful for you, Nikki, and, and what you carry. Um, we love it, yes, the prophetic, the office of prophet that you walk in, but the love and the humility of Jesus that you carry is such a beautiful thing. And I'm really thankful to be in a house where we have powerful men and powerful women and powerful children. And uh, so, Nikki... Thank you for sharing. We love you. you. Just share what's in your heart. Thank you. Wow. Go, Nikki. Thank you, Marcy. Woo. Yes, Jesus. Let's just pray real quick. It helps me focus. Thank you that you're here, like you've been here all, all day. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for your presence upon us. I just thank you for this time we have together. Come and have your way. I just yield it fully to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It really has been a great and powerful morning. I don't know, like, wow, that worship and communion and that word even on going fishing and then the kids' sermon, and I was in the end. I will not panic that I have to go after all of this. No. My husband, on the way, he's like, remember, honey, be confident. I was like, that's right. I'm confident. So um, I do feel confident in what the Lord is saying today. Uh, Last week, Andrew did an incredible job just diving in deep about faith and that being our foundation. It's always going to be the foundation. Without it, we can't please God. So I'll be referencing that uh, in a couple places in my, in my sermon. But as I was pondering faith and pondering his sermon this week and pondering what he wanted me to speak to you guys about, I kept seeing many of your faces because we have such great community here and connection. So I know many of you. And um, each time I felt just the honor of God being extended um, to so many of you, and some of you I don't know, uh, that are walking through really hard things, um, have been walking through hard things, and you're doing it with faith. You're doing it in trust, and um, you're persevering. And I just, I, I, I just felt his pleasure for, the, for, for you all in that. And I uh, kept hearing this verse, uh, Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I, I believe today there's just fresh revelation of the harvest that's attached to your life. And there's fresh refreshing for you. Fresh refreshing. That's like double refreshing. Yeah. Um, and it's important because even as I'm saying to you right now, you know, you're doing a good job or, or you know, you have faith. Um, I, can feel, I can feel that place in all of us sometimes that says, well, she doesn't know everything, you know, like because we're so readily aware of our, of our own shortcomings, I know I am, and of our own circumstances. And oftentimes it's because it's not what we expected it to be. You know what I mean? Like all of us as kids got asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And that's a great question. I'm not anti that question. But as a child for me, that, what that question meant was that someday out there, I'm going to be something, one day, I'm going to arrive at some place, and it's going to be great, right? I remember one of the first places I was going to arrive was going to be a teenager. And my older brother is six years older than me. 
and he was so cool. And I watched him and his teenage friends hang out and stuff. And I remember thinking one day, because I was not a cool kid at all, I was going to get to that teenage place and I was going to be cool. And then I became, a t my sisters are laughing. Yeah, I know, I wasn't that cool. I know, I know, I know. They, um, I really don't lie. I'm here to tell the truth today. So anyway, I became the teenager, right? I got to that place. And y'all, I still was not cool. I was taller, but I was not cooler. <laughs> and now my sisters are saying, and you really weren't that tall. So anyway, um, it was like a lose-lose. But then, you know, it's like, but one more day, right? Like, it's, it's coming, right? Because when I get to be a grown-up, that blessed place that as a child you think is so cool because everyone, yeah, <laughs> people are shaking their heads at me. And then I get to be a grown-up, and I'm like, well, I'm still not cool, you know? And, and that's, again, you're thinking, well, you're not telling the truth because you look cool. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I do think I look kind of cool this morning. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's because by some miracle, God blessed me with these really cool kids. And so I have, like, coolness consultants all the time helping me. So this is, this is about me having cool kids and Jesus answering the cry of my heart as a child. No. Anyway. <laughs> so true. Oh, my gosh, y'all. It's going to be good today. It's going to be good. <laughs> All right. And so then I remember, you know, I got married. Thankfully, I married an amazing man, Craig. So that, that turned out. That was a good decision on my part. That was good. Thanks for marrying me, honey. Um, <laughs> and then I, you know, I'm going to have a baby now, and now I'm a grown-up, and I really, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be this amazing mom, right? So I, I have a picture. Oh, look, it works. I so, I, I really want to be cool like Steve Fish. So, you know, I got my clicker and a few slides. And this was the picture, right? I'm going to have, I'm going to have a baby, and this is me as a mom, right? And she is looking good, guys. She's doing great. And then yet again, are you seeing the pattern? I arrive in the place as motherhood, and instead it looks a little bit more like this. <laughs> Y'all, it's bad. And, and now you're thinking to yourself, that girl looks really young. She is young. This was her Halloween costume. She's a teenager, and she decided the scariest thing she could dr dress up as was a tired, worn-out mom. I guess it's scarier than what I realized. So... Um, but really, you know, you're sitting here, I'm sitting here as a mom, and my kids are cool, but I'm, 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 I'm not as great as I thought I would be. I don't look as great as I thought I would look. I'm at that place, and it doesn't meet my expectation. You know, I have another one here. This was, someone snuck into my house. This was a definite good moment for me. No, that's not me. But that is how I feel, you know, and people are looking at you, what is she, what is she doing? And that's a hard reality. I know I'm joking around about, my feelings, my journey as a mom. But what I really want you to relate to this is all of our circumstances, whether you're mom, whether you're not a mom, obviously there's guys in here and you're definitely not a mom if you're a guy. Um, those places where we arrive in what we think it should be are those disappointments and we just feel so ordinary, you know? And we're like, can I just get coffee in my cup. And don't worry, they did not ask me to preach the Mother's Day sermon, since obviously this is getting depressing for so many. Um, Steve will have a beautiful video to honor all of the moms. It's going to be great. Yep. 
But then, you know, but, but seriously, like, so I come, I come to church, and for the longest time, right, this is our mission statement. Convergence exists, encounter Jesus, and transform cities with his power and love. And can I just be real with you? Like, I know I need an encounter. That makes sense to me. Like, seriously, I know I'm tired. I know I got struggles. I'm very familiar with that. But the, what does this person, how can this person actually transform a city with power and love? Like, seriously. And that, that's, that's something for me, and I'm just, I'm just going to be real, real with you, true, true. That's the struggle is how can I, in my place that I'm in right now, because obviously I'm learning that as much as I enjoy the fantasy of one day I'll be somewhere and one day I might be something, right now, today, this is where I am. And right now, today, this is where you are. And maybe you don't need the extra cup of coffee and you're doing great. And in that sense, you and I can chat afterward. But what, what is this? What, how can I transfer cities with this power and love when I'm not the mayor, I'm nobody important, I'm an ordinary person living, a, in my opinion, a very ordinary life? As a kid, I said to somebody once, as a fifth grader, I'm going to do something so big one day, it's going to be in a history book. And that's just because... We want to envision ourselves as something important because we don't feel important. So one day, if I just do something super important, then maybe I'll be remembered and maybe I'll be valued. And maybe you didn't come from a broken home like I came from my broken home with abuse and all sorts of struggles that I face, but all of us, every person that's walked on this planet has encountered a moment where they didn't feel important, they didn't feel worthy, and they didn't feel good enough, and they certainly didn't think they could transform a city with his power and love. And yet, I, as, I, as I wrestled with that, in this passage, I believe in, this, in these verses is encoded a message of Jesus of world domination. And I'll get to world domination in a moment. I know you're like, well, that's a big jump. She went from she can't handle coffee to world domination. <laughs> By faith, y'all. I got lots of faith today. Let's go. Let's do this. But I believe in this passage is actually a message that speaks to you, to me, to our individual harvest, and to the plan of Jesus in transforming the world around us. It says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things I have heard from you, from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, like I said, I'm going to get to world domination in a minute, but the thing we need to camp out first, because the reality is it's easier to contemplate a cool thing. Again, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are you going to do? Than who you are. And so what we're going to camp out for, for just a moment is what you are right now is you are chosen, period. You are chosen, you are chosen, you are chosen. He picked you. He picked you. And those of you that are bristling at that right now, you, if you lean into that reality, let me tell you, it will demolish the performance anxiety you got going on. It will demolish the rejection that you have experienced it demolishes every barrier of, of denial of, I can't do that, I can't be that. Because he stands in front of you saying, I chose you. And he, and he wasn't ignorant when he chose you, by the way. 
Andrew said last week that faith is not in denial, and Jesus is not in denial. He knows everything. He is the God who was, who is, and who is to come. He knows everything about your life, what it was. He knows every deep, dark secret. He knows about this. He knows about that. And he looks at us, and he says, I want her. I choose her. That place in your life where you just disqualified yourself, he is shaking his head. I choose you. I choose you. If you're in my youth group, you've heard me say it a million times, and he's not going to change his mind ever. He is not a God like that. He's not flippant with his love. He's not careless in his choices. He set his sights on you. He picked you out. It's a big deal. You are chosen. I'm saying it to myself this morning when I'm looking at Wesley and I'm looking at Jason. That's why it destroys comparison. Because he chose me. And then it says he appointed me. In some translation it says he ordained, which means he not only chose you, he made a place for you to occupy. And it's only your place. On my worst days when I'm like, I really did get cool kids, amazing kids, and I'm like, can I really parent these kids? I mean, praise God, we survived infancy and I kept them alive, but like, can I, you know, like, can I really do this? I go to this, he chose me, and he ordained me as their mother. And there's, there's a lot of great women in this room, and you guys, a lot of great moms, and even if you don't have kids, you're momming people, Right? This is a universal message here. But no one in this room can take my place. I was ordained in this place as their mother. So he not only chose me, he ordained me. He made a place for me, right? And then he's not leaving me alone. He says he doesn't call me a slave. He calls me a friend. And I can ask him whatever I need from the Father. And he's going to give it to me. I'm chosen, I have a place, I am not alone. I have a friend with me, walking this with me and through this with me, right? So that I would bear fruit and my fruit would remain. And that's harvest. It's it's that I am bearing fruit. And he's using this language of association to get us to associate with something very familiar to them at the time. And they were obviously a very agricultural people. I am not an agriculture person. My husband is a former science teacher, so I vetted all my information with him. But all trees that grow came from fruit, came from seed, right? So all of the flora, and I didn't really know what that meant until yesterday, if I can just confess that, plants, trees, all those things came from seed, and those seeds came from fruit of one tree. And I was like, so Craig, you're telling me that, that we're looking at trees that descended from other trees like thousands of years ago. He's like, yeah, isn't that amazing? That's the law of sowing and reaping at work and how faithful he is to the harvest. You have harvest attached to your life. A great example of this is in the Old Testament with Sarah and Abraham, right? And God chose them. Abraham, you're going to be a father of nations. He chose Sarah. You're going to be a mother to to nations. And they looked at their circumstances, 
And I don't know if they had coffee then, but maybe they needed it too. And it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is near 90 years old, bear a child? Genesis 18, 12. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? They weren't in denial about their circumstance. This was not how they planned it. But in that moment, what changed? It says in Hebrews 11, 11, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, a lot of people teach us, and I actually don't disagree with it, that, you know, the Hebrews account definitely doesn't reflect the fact that she and Abraham were laughing and this isn't going to happen. And so this is like God looking at her story in a favorable way. That's a great take. I, my, my personal take on it, and I am not a biblical scholar, but my, my personal take is the Bible can't lie, and somewhere between the laughing, she believed. And she had a son. Because that son was not going to be conceived with a woman mocking God. That son was conceived by faith. And it was, she was credited that in Hebrews 11. So the only thing, and then, and then what, it, so, so Sarah believes, she gets pregnant with, with, with Isaac. And all she sees of this mega promise from God, of what she's going to be when she grows up as a mother of nations, is one kid. That's it. But the fruit remains. And from one kid came two more kids, came a dozen kids, came nations. And God kept his promise to one woman who believed in the middle of her circumstances, in the middle of a sleepless nights, that he was faithful. And the fruit remains and every nation on earth has been blessed because of one woman's faith. Us included, because Jesus descended from her, right? That was the blessing that would go to all nations. And she didn't see it in her lifetime. But the harvest that is attached to the fruit of your life is bigger than what you realize. It's why he's urging us in Galatians, do not become weary in doing good. For in the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So today, I am telling you, he's breaking off the places where you have become, literally became weariness. Not just, I feel tired and I need a good night's sleep, but he's breaking off a spirit of heaviness. Because your life matters. Your ordinary life matters. My ordinary life matters. So coming back into that John 15, we see, we see this plan of God at work there with fruit and trees this language of association that he's been talking all through scripture about. And in, yes, indeed, it goes back even to the garden, right? In Genesis. And Wesley, aren't you proud of me? I'm going back to Genesis. You see, this was always the plan, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was always the plan. That you and me would hang out with God in relationship. And that we would tend to the garden of our lives in a fruitful life-giving way. And we know the story, the sad story. Adam and Eve, they messed up. And we lost, we lost that authority in the garden. And then Jesus comes back. This is what he's saying now. And he's saying, it's being restored to you. The fruitfulness, the life of your life, it's, it's possible now again. Yeah? 
Now, Jesus could have had a different plan. I'm not going to, I'm going to lie. He could have shown up. Let's stick with the farmer picture for a minute. And Jesus, being as amazing as he is, he could have come to the whole earth and been like, I'm going to farm it all. I'm just going to do the whole thing. And in fact, that is kind of what the disciples wanted him to do. You know, that's why they were wanting, you're the Messiah, you're going to set everything right like David, right? You're going to fix this messed up world. And Jesus had this crazy wild plan that he was going to make them right so they could make the world right. In Matthew 28, it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just so you know, if you keep reading in that, in that passage, it says, Even then, some of the disciples doubted him and the plan. So here is a picture where Jesus decided he was going to choose friendship over mastership. He didn't come to master the world and have slave robots. He's making it very clear here. I want friends to do this with me. I want friends. It's the Garden of Eden again, and it's for us. So how do, you, how do we do cities? How do we, do, how do we disciple nations? It's you and your garden plot. It's you and your little square piece of land. That's how. You. If every person took their harvest seriously and understood the, po the power of believing him just as Sarah did and their garden plot and their place of life, do, do you see this? Th this is why I'm saying in John 15, we're seeing his plan for world domination here. It's all of us in friendship with him just tending to my, my area. I, Nikki, don't have to be the mayor of the city of Arlington to change the city of Arlington. I, Nikki, need a tent to my garden plot. Think about that. If everyone was doing that, would that not transform a city? Cities are just made up of people. You just break it on down. Yeah? And when I, when I look at it that way, all of a sudden it's like, oh, right here, right now, this is about me. This does apply to me. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. It is the smallest in the garden and then becomes an ecosystem. It says this in Matthew 13, 31. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smallest of all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So I take the seed from Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, I plant it into the garden of my life, the ecosystem of my life, and that thing grows just like it did with Sarah. And now it's become this ecosystem all around me that's affecting everyone around me. Another way of looking at this is houses. That might be a little bit easier to connect into. I don't know if I'd have time to go into it, but I do. In, um, in, in Exodus, it talks about Moses, right? Everyone, we all know the story about Moses. He's coming to Egypt to deliver them out of Egypt. And Moses is doing a great job, guys. He's definitely someone we all look up to. And maybe I remember I had a, when I was teaching a fifth grade class, someone, one of my kids in a fifth grade class said, I want to be like Moses when we grow up. I'm like, don't we all? He was a cool guy. And so he's 
performing signs and wonders, and he's doing all these huge things. He is. But how was the nation of Israel delivered from Egypt? It's when every household applied the blood of the lamb to their house. Moses didn't run around. So again, this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus' strategy was. That Jesus came and did signs and wonders, restoring the awe and wonder to people who were in captivity and in slavery. But Moses was was getting them out of a slave mindset and having them participate in the deliverance of their nation. Do y'all see that? So he's doing all this stuff. If, if the Israelites, if Moses had gone and done the blood on every single house, the Israelites' mindset in that time would always have been that Moses has to do everything. And Jesus is demolishing that mindset. I believe he's demolishing that mindset right now because those of us in our own gardens and our plants still think other people, we look at other people and we look at celebrities and they do a better job. Or maybe I need them to come and do this in my house or I need them to come and do this. I'm not talking about the power of community. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you were chosen. You were chosen. You were chosen. You were ordained. This past week, my grandfather passed away. Um, Our grandfather, my my sisters are are here. He was not a good man, y'all. And I had not seen him in a very, very long time. My children did not know him because um, I purposed to keep my kids safe. I remember growing up, he openly mocked me regularly for my faith. Um, And he just left a trail of destruction behind in his life. Like, it's just awful, his legacy Uh, with his children, and my own experiences with him growing up. And we all have stories like that, right? Just like Sarah, she had faith, and she bore good fruit. In Galatians, it talks about God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. A man, according to his flesh, will reap destruction. And the one, according to spirit, will reap life. And my, my, my grandfather, there was just a path of destruction all around him. So what I'm saying is if sin can enter into one man and leave that kind of devastation and his household and the people around him, how much more then can Jesus through you rectify that, redeem it, restore it, and make it right? It's so much more powerful. It's his heart's desire to to do that. It says sin came through Adam, but But grace, peace, and righteousness came through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is in you. The the night that, uh, the day after we found out that my grandfather died, I was just worshiping. My son was actually worshiping in our house. He was leading a Bible study. And I was just in awe of Jesus. Because it was a swirly day as I was having all those memories of my, my grandfather. But that he could not stop the power of Jesus' redemption in my life. He couldn't stop what was happening in my household with with my son leading a Bible study. He can't stop it. In in the book of, this all continues in the New Testament as well. In the book of Acts, we see this pattern of scripture of, um, I mean, in the scriptures where God is reaching households. Now we know it's famous, you know, they were going house to house and they were meeting and praying. And that's great. I'm not actually plugging microchurches this morning. They're wonderful, though, by the way. They're great. But we always key in on the big people, just like Moses, whatever, Peter and Paul. And they, of course, they were big. They they were doing a stellar job preaching the gospel. 
But if you really dig in there and you see all the ordinary people they were doing it with, Cornelius' whole household was saved. He was an ordinary centurion soldier who just loved God. So Peter is sent to Cornelius' house, and he preaches the, the gospel, and the whole household is saved. Guys, the people that came to Cornelius' house didn't come because of Peter. They came because of Cornelius. Because of Cornelius. It says his friends and his family came because of Cornelius. Because he was just a faithful guy, an ordinary soldier who believed God. And the legacy of his life is that. It goes on. There's so many stories of this, guys. Lydia doesn't even mention a husband. She's a single lady working in the city who loves God. And it says in her household, every member was saved. They came because of Lydia. Paul did a great job preaching the gospel. And he was supposed to go there and do his part, what he was chosen to do and what he was ordained to do. But his part was not Lydia's part. And I'm looking at Cornelius's in this room. I'm looking at Lydia's. I'm looking at Timothy's and Stevens and Phillips. I've just been studying all the unknown names of the New Testament, and there's so many heroes of the faith. A guy who had the four daughters, single daughters, who all prophesied. Can you imagine a dad raising in that time period strong women who were prophesying, and it was honored in Scripture because of it? Y'all, this is amazing. This community of believers that believed Jesus and believed they were chosen too. They were chosen too. So I would, I would say in the three areas of your life right now, just super practical, because I'm, I'm a very practical person. You gotta be when you're a mom. Everything's practical. I would say the three areas to exercise in your house, in your garden, and the areas of influence of your life where you are right now, however tired you may be, is the first one is belief. Believe him. Just believe him. Believe that he chose you. He's not going to change his mind about you. It's the same thing what Andrew said last night. Believe his word. Believe. That's the biggest thing because everything else I'm about to say is going to come from that. It's just believing. This is not a get your bootstraps on and do better word because there is no better than believing. <laughs> they believe God and it was credited to them as righteousness. I know I said that in the beginning, but this, it all hinges on faith, guys. Because you won't, you won't step out if you don't have it. Believe. The second thing is exercise the authority that Jesus Christ gave you. Authority, we use that word a lot. What does that word mean? And again, maybe because I'm, I teach Sunday school all the time and everything, I, I'm always boiling it down. Authority is just who's in charge. You know, I'm in charge. My husband and I, we're in charge at our house. People won't come in unless we let them in. We open that door, we shut the door. I'm in charge. It's a great feeling. It is, it is a perk of being a grown-up. One of the few perks, probably. <laughs> That's right. It's just about being in charge. So what does that mean practically in your, in your life? 
Somebody needs to exercise the authority of Jesus. My grandfather exercised a lot of evil authority in his life, but somebody needs to exercise the authority of Jesus. I love this story, again, going back to Moses. This is like one of those really fun, cool stories where he shows up and he's got his staff with Aaron. It's actually Aaron's staff. And it's the first thing that he does as a sign and wonder to Pharaoh, right? He throws the staff down and the staff becomes a snake. And then Pharaoh's all like, ha ha, we can totally do that trick. And it says in that, in that passage that he called out the magicians and, and their sorcerers or whatever, and they all come out. And it doesn't really give an account. Prince of Egypt lied to us. Uh, there wasn't just two. They, they really wasn't an actual account. So there's all these other magicians. They throw their, their staffs down, and they become snakes too, right? And then it says that Moses' or Aaron's staff ate all the other snakes, right? I love this story. I love this eating a snake story. Moses must have liked it too because, you know, it, the snake thing kind of happened again later on where there was a snake outbreak, right, and everybody's getting bitten in the wilderness, because I didn't believe God. But he doesn't do that now, y'all. We're under Jesus, so no snake's going to bite you. Don't worry, kids. Sorry. Anyway, and, and so uh, God says to Moses, he was like, make a serpent, hang it up on a pole, right? And everyone who looks at that serpent is going to get saved. And so he does that. He makes a bronze serpent, he puts it on a pole, and everyone that got bit by the bad snakes looked at, looked at that serpent, and they were immediately healed, and they didn't die. And what's the point of that? Jesus says, in um, John chapter 3, just as the serpent had to be lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all men may be saved. It means that Jesus, who knew no sin, it says in 2 Corinthians, became sin so that you may be the righteousness of Christ. Meaning he became a snake. He became sin so that when we would look at him, we would be healed. We would be saved. Right? Okay, so in my mind, because I, I, I have a really active imagination, me exercising authority in my land is me throwing down the cross. I don't have a cool Aaron Rod staff going on, but I have the cross. And that cross, in my mind, that wooden cross is the image of Jesus Christ becoming sin, conquering sin and death, right? And I, in my land, am going to be the one to throw it down so that it can eat everything coming at my kids, everything coming at me, everything coming at my husband, everything coming out to the people that I love and care about. Right now, if there's something I want you to have faith in, it's the faith in the cross and throw it down on your ground. It ate up the cross of Jesus, literally ate up the path of destruction that my grandfather tried to wreak in my life. And anytime new evidence of anything else comes in, and I pause and I meditate on the cross and I, I come into agreement of that, it completely overcomes. Jesus did not ask us to be an overcomer if he himself was not an overcomer. He has overcome the world. Let him overcome yours. But it's only going to happen if you know that you are the chosen one to throw it down in your garden to say no more. And thankfully, Jesus didn't stay on that cross. Then we get to open the door. We shut the door and say, you don't get to come in anymore. We open the door and we say, resurrection, come in. All the amazing things of Jesus come in. I remember when my kids were younger, I was so obsessed with the curses that were handed down to me. And trust me, there were plenty, like so many bad stuff in my family line. My sister asked my other side of the family grandfather if there was like literally anything good in our family line. And he said, I don't think so. Anyway, I mean, it's bad. And so I remember I prayed. 
you people, you have no idea how many curses I have broken, and I'm not anti that. But I remember one time Jesus said, you know, I, my blessing are so much bigger than the curse. How about you focus on praying in that? How about instead of worrying so much about breaking the curse over your, your son Jesse and Tessa and Kate, you realize that they are saved because they gave their lives to me and my righteousness is inside of them. My power is inside of them. And you speak to that and you say manifest and come out in Jesus' name. It's so much bigger. So yeah, throw, the, throw it down and let it devour stuff when the bad stuff comes. But guys, the resurrection power of Jesus all the good stuff of Jesus, call it in. Call it in. The final thing in, that I would say to do in your land is obedience. In friendship with Jesus, when that voice of his is saying to you, go ahead and forgive them again. Go ahead and have that talk. Go ahead and try one more time. Let's yield to that. Because we move in conjunction with him, right? Right? Now, some of you right now, and again, because I come from an um, abused background, some of you are in a crowd this size, are in abusive situations. I'm not saying that you need to stay in that. Some of you, the obedience you need and the authority you need is to call someone and get help. Okay? So if you're listening on the live stream and you need help, Jesus is not asking you to endure horrible abuse. Get help. Use Use the authority of Jesus to shut the door on that thing and get help. Make that phone call. I'm talking about the normal places of our life, guys, with the people that we trust, to believe him, to to take that step once again, to forgive, to bless, to engage with love, right? All those things that I'm looking at your faces right now that y'all really are good at doing. But we we just, we don't give up. (laughs) And that's really the message today. Don't give up. Your harvest matters. Your life matters. And there's so much more that you haven't even seen. It's what he was saying today, more than you could have asked for or imagined. The harvest of Sarah's life was more than she probably imagined. I know it had to be. How could, you wrap her, how could she have wrapped her earthly mind around with that one decision of faith would reproduce in her life? And so it is with you. It's bigger than me. So for all of you right now that want to be big, you are. (laughs) And it's not because social media said so. It's because he picked you and the harvest is plentiful. And he is the Lord of the harvest. And he is faithful to your harvest. He's got a stake in it too because it says he won't be mocked. Your harvest, there's present harvest you will see in this life. And there's a future harvest that's beyond what you could ask or think. So for the activation time as, as, we, as we wrap up, like I know that many of us are discouraged. Oh, wow, that's, you're so good. Wow. Don't give up, Sean. You have a harvest from those keys. We're laughing, but we all know it's true. Um, in the place, like some of you, realize that you have given up in some areas and there's literally no condemnation today some of you like the disappointment frustration pain it it got so deep it's it's bad you know and there really is this weary place that has hit you 
And I, I literally feel no judgment or condemnation from Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he is the God who was. So he can go back and fix things where we even messed up. He can. He's the redeemer of time. He's outside of it. He can, he can reconcile in this present moment, and there really is a good future waiting. But what I practically do to come back into alignment with him in my own places of frustration or pain or fatigue of I just, I don't even know anymore, and please give me a second cu- cup of coffee, is thanksgiving, praise, and declaration. And in Psalm 100, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. And so, like, I literally do this every single day is whenever I'm confronted with my place of disappointment and where I'm clued in to where that is is where I don't want to ask anymore. If that thing you just don't want to ask again for, when he says, ask me whatever you wish and I'll do it for you, that's, that, that's it right there. And I just come to him with that. I'm either disappointed in him, I'm disappointed in myself, or I'm disappointed in a person. And I'm not saying I, I have all the answers and that's, that's a whole process in of itself. I'm saying right now, so how, what do I do? I come to him in my place and I just remember, like what we did today with communion. Uh, I've told this story when at one of Steve's prophetic trainings about uh, four years ago. It's been, we were in California on a family vacation, and I had a plan. It was going to be a, re- we all had a plan. It was going to be a great time. And there was a freak accident with my uh, youngest daughter, Kate. And now we're landed in a tiny hospital on the Pacific West Coast in the middle of nowhere, and a doctor telling me that my daughter could die at any moment. And uh, it, we were all alone. Like, if we'd been here, you know, all of y'all would have come and rallied around us. And I'm, like, in shock. This was not the vacation we wanted at all, obviously. Craig had to take our other kids to where we were staying. I'm by myself in that hospital room. And I'm, like, swirling with all the emotions of my present circumstances. And I, I remember, like, I was, like, talking to Jesus. And this is my conversation with him. Just tell me what's going to happen. Is my daughter about to die? Like, just, can you just give me a heads up on that? And there was nothing. Can you tell me if that plane, because the, the fires had started and there was smoke everywhere and fog. They couldn't fly us out. They literally had no way to help her because they didn't have the pediatric resources to do it. So they were waiting to care flight us out to San Francisco. And we, we were trapped. We were literally trapped in this little hospital. And I'm like, would you just... Tell me what's going to happen. I just need to know. Nothing, no answers. And then all of a sudden, I hear the voice of God say to me, what do you know, Nikki? And in that hospital room, I said, I know. I know you saved me, Jesus. I could see him right there on the cross. I know that I know that I know there's anything I know in my life is that you rescued me. That you saved me and that you are real and you really did die on that cross. And I'm so thankful that you did. And as I was just sitting there in that hospital room, in my garden, in those circumstances, entering into the gates, heaven was coming in as I was giving thanks. 
Now the next step in that is praise. And as I was looking at him, praise is not just thanking him, it's telling him who he is. Like you can thank the babysitter, they did a great job. Thank you, you did a great job. Praise is saying you're the best babysitter of all time. So I'm looking at him and my heart was like, you died but you lived, right? I'm praising him that he died and he lived. And in that moment, knowing who he was, his name, I did the last part, I declared it. The spirit of God fell on me and I looked at my daughter and I was like, you died, Jesus, she lives. You died, she lives, period. That's what I know. That's what I know. And she did. Yes. She, we got, we got care flighted out. She did not need that emergency surgery. There was a miracle that happened. It was amazing. She's completely okay. There's no lingering ramifications from that accident. So I would just say right now, I would just say close your eyes right now and let's just do that. You, whatever circumstance you have, if it's financial, you can thank him. Like for, for me, sometimes I'll thank him. If I'm looking at a financial situation, I'll, I'll remember where he provided for me before and I start thanking him for that. I'll be like, thank you, Jesus, for that time when that check came in the mail. Thank you, Jesus, for that time when this happened, right? And then I, I don't stay in the place of thanks. As I'm meditating and the gate is now open and heaven is coming in, refreshing me in the remembrance and heaviness is lifted off. I start to praise him. Thank you, you are provider. You always provide. It's who you are. So I know because of the history I have with you, you will provide. When I'm looking at the, the ashes of my grandfather, I did this on Monday night. I'm at, all day long, I was just thinking about that path of destruction. And I came in while my son was uh, having this worship time with his friends in my living room. And the song was playing how holy he is and how beautiful he is. I just started, and how he makes beauty out of ashes. I just started thanking him, thanking you, thank you, Jesus, that you have made beauty out of the ashes of my life. Thank you for every place that you redeemed. Thank you because you do that because you are beautiful. And every place that still needs to be made beautiful in my life, every ash filled, every place of destruction, because of who you are, you will do it again. It's who you were, it's who you are, it's who you will be. Praise breaks the spirit of heaviness. So let's do that. Just wherever you are right now, begin thanking him. If you can't think of anything, thank him for the cross. That's my always my go-to when I can't think of anything else. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you rescued me. Thank you for your broken body that absorbed the, the curse. Thank you for your blood that breaks off all the bad stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Now just, add, just keep saying that, thank you. And then when you're ready, as you're looking at him, praise him. You are the lamb who sits upon that throne because you died and you live. You are the resurrection, you are the life. There's nothing you can't do. And you're coming and filling every place right now, Jesus. So I start in that 
place of thanks, I give praise, and then I bless his name. I throw that name down, provider. Go for it. Thank you. You're providing. Thank you that you're redeemer, you're redeemer. Thank you that you're the resurrection and the life. Thank you that you're the prince of peace. Thank you you're ruling in princely peace right now. I, I, one time I like literally, I could feel this spirit of heaviness get on me and it was like this constant state of discouragement. And I remember, I specifically chose worship songs that were just praising him, naming who he was. And I stayed in there until I felt that thing break. Not because it was about my action, but because there's something about me entering into the next revelation of Jesus because I know Satan wanted to weigh me down because he did not want me to move me forward. And so I'm just like, I'm coming in, Jesus. So some of you right now, just stay in the praise of naming him. I'm doing this without a worship team because you will not have a worship team in your bedroom. And you're not going to have the worship team in the kitchen while you're pouring your coffee. But it works in all of these ordinary places of our life. It is the fruit of our lives. Keep, keep moving forward. Steve's going to come up here in a second. We have family prophetic teams today. And if you need a fresh word of encouragement personally, someone to lay hands on you, to give you a prophetic word, to pray for you, for where you are right now so that you don't give up, do that. Or maybe you just, we have really great prophetic teams, I'm not gonna lie. And these families, these people are amazing. So the prophetic teams can come forward, Steve, if you wanna. Steve's asking me to make some declarations about who you are. So if y'all would stand, appreciate that, Steve, doing this in community. All right, I was making sure he was seeing, I see it too. All right, so I'm gonna just make some declarations over you guys. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are people called to God to make glorious his praise. You were once in darkness, but you are not in darkness any longer. You are light. You are overcomers. You are literally overcoming the evil one in every realm of your authority. Your influence is increasing as you see the overcoming nature of Jesus increase in you. You were crowned with every heavenly blessing from above. You are not orphaned. You have been found. He said, I would not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He is coming. He has come to you. He is with you. He is for you. He is through you. There is nothing that you cannot do with, apart from him. With him, you can do anything. Nothing is impossible without him. I bless you right now for the increase of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that is in you and is anointing you as kings and priests unto your God. As you rule and reign in your gardens, in your homes, in your household. Literally, there's going to be attraction to more. Just as Cornelius 
and his faithful place as a soldier was attracting heavenly visitations. It was attracting the resources of heaven. You are attracting it. Light calls after light. Deep calls out to deep. There's resources coming to you simply because you're faithful and you believe. It's happening. There are people in your household, in your houses. Some of you right now, you're claiming right now, every member of your house is saved. Every member. We're not losing them anymore. Every member. Friends, family. The faces are literally flashing through your mind. And Jesus is saying yes. Now, not me, but you throw down the cross. And let it devour the destruction in your family. Let it devour that stuff. And then let it just come in and plant the holy tree, the kingdom of heaven. Let it grow, the kingdom of heaven. I bless righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit to be strengthened and to grow in the ecosystem of your lives. In Jesus' name. Yeah, I feel like something's literally shifting for some people right now about authority. There's one thing I feel like is a life message and something that Nikki carries, it's authority. Something rose up in her as a child where she knew her authority and she has stepped into that many, many, many times. And I feel like she carries something that releases all of us to come into a place of knowing our authority. It's what the theme of this message has been, and I feel like we need to step into it. So I I just want you to do whatever Jesus tells you, but I would say come up here. If you really feel that, I feel like some of you, it's in your head, yeah, I hear that, that I have authority, but there's a belief that needs to shift in your heart. And I feel like you need to come forward. And I just want Nikki to pray over that. Just for just that thing to get from your head, my head, to our hearts of the authority we actually carry. It's not just Nikki who carries authority. So step into your authority right now. And there's something shifting in our hearts of a belief system. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It really... It really is that. And it's true. I do have a revelation of that. And it was as a child with all that intimidation, all those snakes, right, coming at me. And this is vital. Because, <laughs> y'all, I, I believe that John 15 passage, that this is the plan of Jesus, is all of us. All of us. It's why we do prophetic training, family style. It's all, y'all. It's all. <laughs> So I just bless right now. I I just see like I I mentioned my grandfather mocking me. And I feel like whether you had a person in your life mocking your faith and mocking you, I just, or if it's just the enemy's voice to you, I just say no right now. I just say you go right now, you spirit of mockery. Woo! Jesus, yeah. Go, go. And I just bless right now you the washing of the blood of Jesus over your minds right now to hear his voice. My sheep, hear my voice. And a voice of another they will not listen to. And his voice is telling you, I died to give my authority to you. Not just to the one, because that would make the cross small. Y'all, if 
it's just for a couple of people, the cross is insignificant. And I don't believe that. You, Jesus, the cross is the most significant work ever. Restoring authority, dignity, and the power of you, Jesus, to all your people. So blow, Holy Spirit, come. Ho! Just fresh ways of revelation of the power and the authority that they carry in Christ. The risen one, the Messiah, the anointed one in Jesus' name. Lord, we take our place in our gardens. We take our place in our plot of land in this city. We take our place in our homes. We take our place in our neighborhoods. We take our assigned places of work. Lord, we take our place in our giftings. We take our place, Lord, as your friends, as your chosen and appointed one. We say yes to you, Lord. We take our place now. Lord, as a church, we take our place in this city. We take our place in the nations, Lord, in the authority that you've given us. We thank you for the power of the blood, that it is not about us being all right in all of this. It is about you, Jesus, and your power and your authority. And we take every inch of ground that you have given to us, Lord, we do. We declare salvation over every person in our families, every person in our neighborhoods. We declare wherever we set our feet, the kingdom of God is manifest. And we set our feet on this ground. And we declare the blood of Jesus covers our cars. The blood of Jesus covers the doorposts of our homes. The blood of Jesus covers the school that our children attend. And we thank you, Jesus that we are chosen and appointed and that we will bear much fruit. Let's say much fruit, much fruit. I want you to look at someone near you and say, you bear much fruit. You are a friend of God who bears much fruit. So we have these teams up here. These guys are ready to prophesy. I wanna also ask our ministry teams to come on up here this morning and they're here to pray with you, to stand with you. I feel like even there's there's several women here that Nikki's sharing today has stirred your heart. You're like, I wanna do what she's doing someday and I just want you to know the Lord says yes. Yes, that you will declare his word. You will publicly declare his word and we bless that over your life in Jesus' name. So bless you as you go. I bless you as you walk as a friend of God this week, a chosen one. I bless you as you exercise the authority that Jesus has given you in your home, in your neighborhood, in Jesus' name.